you're listening to another inspirational message from Bell Road Church. If you live in the North Phoenix area and are looking for a church community, we'd love to have you join us. It's a great place for the whole family where you can have fun and grow closer to Jesus. For more information, visit us at www.bellroadchurch.com. To start off our message today, I'm going to ask Pastor John Mark to come up, and I'd love for all of us to stand as he's going to read two passages from Scripture today. So let's stand for the reading of the Word, and these are the passages we're looking at and we're teaching on here this morning. From Luke chapter 10 and verse 25, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And then in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, if I remember right, but my iPad shut off. Is that right? Yes, it is. (laughs) It just shut off again. Let's see. One moment here. It gives you a chance to turn. Yes, John 13, 34, and 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Amen. You can be seated. So looking at these passages here today as we continue on this series called Love, Live, Lead. And this series is based on our mission statement. We've never actually dove deep into what does our mission statement mean. If you've been around here for a while, you've heard the mission statement. The mission statement is, and if you know it, go ahead and say it with me. 
Love people, live like Jesus, and lead others to him. That's our mission statement right there. If you don't have it memorized, I'd encourage you to memorize it. Love people, live like Jesus, lead others to him. So we're going to talk about what does it mean to love people today? Last week, we started talking about this, began this whole loving people part of the thing, but we really focused on loving God because Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment of all the commandments? And he gave, instead of one answer, he gave two answers. It's love God and, and love your neighbor, love other people. And so what Jesus was saying, it wasn't because Jesus couldn't count. He knows what one is, but he's saying the two go together hand in hand, okay? The two are one. In fact, you and I will show a genuine love of God by how we love other people. Jesus was very intentional with those words. If we can't love other people, then are we really loving God? And so Jesus was saying a genuine love is shown through a loving other people. So that's why we, in our mission statement, just say love people and leave out the, the loving God part. It's just kind of, it's assumed. Out of our love for God, we want to love other people. So we're going to talk about this and, and what does this mean? And so as Jesus came on the scene and began his ministry, he really only had three years of ministry, which is interesting to think about. Isn't that crazy? Three years of public ministry, and he forever changed the world. So as he came on the scene and he began to do his teachings, the religious leaders, they did not like what Jesus was teaching. They felt like he was kind of bucking their system, and really he was. He was upsetting the religious system of the day by how he came to teach, and he was telling them, basically, okay, you know all these laws, but here's what the laws really mean. He was showing them what, what the important intent of the law was and how you and I are called to live out the law, but they felt like he was just disrupting what was important to them, their traditions, and so the big issue for them, well, one of the big issues was they were losing power and influence. And they didn't like that. They love their power and influence. We're the ones who teach people what the law is and how to live this thing out. That's our job, not some crazy guy who thinks he's a rabbi and thinks he's the Messiah. That's our job. They're losing power and influence by how Jesus was leading and how he was teaching. So they didn't like that, but the real issue was this. It was a heart issue. They lost their heart. In all of their living and doing and following and obeying laws, their heart for God and for other people was lost. And they cared more about their traditions and their power, their influence, than they did actually about people. And that's why they missed it. And that's why they had a hard time with what Jesus came to teach. Now, as we look at them, it's important for us. Every time we see, you know, Pharisees and Sadducees, these experts in the law, we see how they responded to Jesus. It's easy for us to read and say, well, they got it all wrong. But we got to understand our heart can go there in the same way. Yeah. We got to guard our heart so our heart doesn't go to that place as well. Because we can value our traditions and what we're used to. We can even value our comfort. We can value our opinions. And we can put that even over people. And it's a scary place that you and I can get to where I think more of my opinion than I do of I don't want my opinion to be more important than a person. And we don't want ourselves to go there. We want to, above everything else, we want to love people. This is so important. And so that we're going to talk about how to live this thing out. We've got to understand the how, not just the what, but the how. How do we love this? How do we love people in the way Jesus is calling us to love? In order for us to do this, it's going to require humility. Yeah. It takes humility. We cannot truly love people if we're operating in pride and in selfishness. It requires you and I to live in this place of humility. 
And again, easier said than done, like so many things we talk about out of scripture, but my opinion, my position, my, all these things are not more important than people. Yes. And sometimes we end up finding ourselves being way more concerned about being right than about loving. Like, I just want to be right. And this is a scary place to go to in a marriage, by the way. That's going to lead to a lot of uh, heated conversations, should we say arguments. It's going to lead to a lot of tension, okay? And so in marriage, we know this. This is so important. This is like a good foundational one-on-one communication in marriage. Uh, The most important thing is to love, not to be right. And so... It's important for us to know what truth is, to know Jesus, to know his teachings. We want to stand on truth. We want to stand on those things. But even when other people think differently, maybe they're a part of a different religion, they're a different belief system, we still are called to love and meet them right at that place because loving them is more important than being right. And so this is what we're learning. This is what we're going to talk about today. And this, this type of love that Jesus taught and demonstrated was radical. This is upsetting them. This is, this is why they just couldn't get this. And so last week we talked specifically on the greatest commandment. We looked at it again this week actually too, where the guy asked, hey, what do I do to inherit eternal life? It's essentially the same thing. What's the most important thing for me to focus on in my life? I want to make sure I get it right. It's essentially the same thing as what's the most important commandment out of all these commandments that we're supposed to follow. How do I inherit eternal life? He's saying, hey, what's the main thing? That's what we talked about last week, right? The main thing. And what's the big deal about the main thing? Well, you know what they say. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And so that's what we're talking about here today. And that's what Jesus is trying to show them, what the main thing was. And um, Jesus, in response to this, you know, the, the guy actually answers well. He says, I know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. Jesus is like, you're right. And so the guy says this. He says, um, so who's my neighbor? And the reason he asked that was he wanted to, did you catch this? He wanted to justify himself. He's like, I know who my neighbor is. I know how to respond to this. I just want to see if Jesus knows. Does he really know who my neighbor is? Does he know who I'm supposed to love, I'm allowed to love and not love, by the way? Because in his mind, he thought there was people you could not love. That's where he was at. That's why he wanted to justify his position. He wanted to justify where he was at. And I love how Jesus responds to this. He doesn't give give him a statement like, hey, just make sure you just love everybody you come in contact with. He responds with a story. Jesus is brilliant. Greatest teacher, greatest storyteller ever. So we get the story of the good Samaritan in connection to the greatest commandment showing us how can we live this thing out. And so Jesus tells this great story. So this guy's traveling down the road and these robbers come, they rob him, they beat him up and they leave him. It says half dead, right? So there he is on the road. It was an interesting description. He is half dead. He's just like Wesley in The Princess Bride. He's mostly dead. He's not all the way dead, but he's mostly dead. And that only comes to my mind because... We showed our kids that movie this weekend, and he's just not all the way. He's mostly dead, but not all the way dead. So that's this guy, this traveler. He is half dead on the side of the road. Uh, a priest comes by and like, totally avoids, walks on the side of the road. A temple assistant is what the New Living said. Walks by, totally avoids. Not my problem, not my issue. Doesn't care. But then Jesus says a Samaritan, and just that word coming out of his mouth would have been like, Ugh, to them, like, seriously, you're going to bring up a Samaritan? 
Because Jews did not like Samaritans. They would look down on them. They were half-breeds, people they did not like. They were not worthy of our love and our consideration. So Jesus intentionally uses a Samaritan in this story to describe how we are called to love other people. And then he ends the whole story and he says, okay, so which one loved their neighbor? Which is pretty obvious, right? (laughs) And in the response, they say, "Uh, the guy who showed mercy on that one guy that was half dead. They couldn't even say the word Samaritan. That's how much they despise Samaritans. The one guy who showed mercy or compassion. And so Jesus is showing us how to love our neighbor with this story. And the the Good Samaritan, obviously, is a very famous story, but it's important we understand it's, it's connected to the greatest commandment of them all, loving God and loving people. There's three things I think we can learn from this parable of the, uh, the Good Samaritan. Three things that stand out to me. Number one, a lack of love is easy to justify. Remember, this guy wanted to justify his position. Because here's the deal. The teachers of the law in those days, they actually would teach, it's okay to hate your enemy. Yeah, love your neighbor, because that comes from Levitical law. But then there was this assumption that, oh, since God says love your neighbor, we can hate our enemy. And so they actually would teach this. And so this is how they lived. This is how they functioned. And so wanting to justify himself, he's like, okay, just make sure we're all on the same page and make sure you teach the same thing we're all teaching right now. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus responds totally different than what he expects. And so in the end, this guy cannot justify his position. But that's one of the things we learned. A lack of love can be easy to justify. And this is a scary thing. We don't want to go there. Number two, our neighbor is everyone, no exceptions. That's the other thing we learn, right? Everyone, no exceptions. People who look differently from me, doesn't matter their, their social status, their economic status, uh, their, their race, their gender, their religion, all of those things. Like I said, we are called to love those people, no exception. Amen. Number three, love means acting to meet the person's need. Okay, it's getting very specific. Meeting this person right where they're at. That's how I love this person. Meeting them right here in this moment. So Jesus calls us to love everybody, no exceptions. But just in case we still find ourselves, there's like maybe one small little exception. We, We have this teaching from Jesus found in Matthew 5. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Because again, this is what they taught. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. So Jesus is saying, you've heard this, you've been taught this, but I tell you this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So just in case we feel like, well, there's one exception to this, right? If someone is my enemy and they're out to get me, I don't have to love them, right? Jesus is saying, no, love your enemy. You, that, which shows us there is no exception to who we are called to love, right? Then he says, pray for those who persecute you, which is an interesting statement. Why would Jesus say, pray for those who persecute you? Now, if you're honest with yourself, the last person you want to pray for is the person who's persecuting you. But think about what happens when you begin to pray for somebody, even if they're hurting you, even if they're persecuting you, the more you begin to pray for them, the more you will see them the way God sees them. Yeah. And the more you will begin to love them, that love, I promise you, will grow in your heart the more you pray. You pray blessing over them. You pray God's provision. You pray God's love over them. Pray for those who persecute you is what Jesus says because he knows what will happen in our heart if we pray for those people. 
love will begin to grow. And we can find ourselves loving those people who persecute us, and we can even love our enemy. So, last week we talked about how there were 633 laws, which is a lot of laws, right? 633. Problem with that is no one can follow 633 laws. And probably even the bigger problem is no one can even remember 633 laws, let alone follow them to perfection. And so Jesus was asked, okay, of all these laws, what's the most important thing? Jesus gave two answers, love God, love people. But then you come to the end of his ministry time, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, and he says something very interesting. It's recorded in John 13. Pastor John Mark read these words. Let's look at them again. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So interesting words here because Jesus is saying, I got a new command for you. Like, first of all, why would you add another one? Like 634, is that where we're at? Is that where we're going for, Jesus? You just want to add more? Second of all, I think we've actually heard this. Love one another. I get it. You've talked about this. You've told stories about this. We get it. But Jesus, in a sense, is, is saying this is a new command, and I want to make sure you know not just what it is, but how to live this out. He's given us the how in this new command. So yes, you've heard, love God and love other people, but here's how you're called to do it, the way I've loved you, which is a pretty tall order to measure up to. Jesus says, this is how you're going to live this out. You are going to love people so much that it's going to mirror the love that I have given to you. Love people the way I've loved, I'm loving you. Jesus is actually making this even a little bit more simple, actually. Okay, so here's what you really need to focus in on. Just, just make sure you love people. Okay, great. But then he says, and do it the way I've done it. So by... Giving this new command, he's saying it's really, it's less complicated, but it's more demanding, <laughs> right? Less complicated, more demanding for you and I to actually live out the kind of love that Jesus has given to us. That is not easy, my friends, but it's so important for us to understand what kind of love has Jesus given us? How has he shown his love? Well, you and I, we've all sinned, and it's important we understand the, the depth and the significance of our sin. Our sin sentences you and I to death. And Jesus says, I love you so much. I'm going to pay the price for your sin. I'm going to take that on the cross, and I'm going to die in your place. This is the most beautiful, most profound picture and act of love ever recorded in human history. What Jesus did for you and I on the cross, we can never forget this, friends. We can never take this for granted. This is a powerful picture of what love really is. And we talked about last week how, you know, the world has its definition of love. The world loves to say, hey, let me take you to two people in bed, and this is their definition of love. But God would say, hey, let me take you to the foot of the cross and show you my, show you my son dying and bleeding for you, for your sin, and show you this is the true picture of what love is. Two radically diff definitions of love right there. And that's the love that you and I are called to give to other people, not in the sense that I got to die for people to prove that I, I love them, but in the sense that I'm going to live a selfless life. I'm not going to be selfish. 
I want to be self-sacrificial, and I'm going to think about others. I want to live a life that actually benefits and, and helps other people. And so here's the message I want you to get today. The selfless love of Jesus, for me, leads me to do what's best for thee. And that's the goal. The selfless love of Jesus, for me, leads me, you could even say compels me, as Corinthians says, to do what's best for thee. The selfless love of Jesus for me, and I pray as we understand the significance of that on a daily basis, that it would lead me to do what's best for thee. It's easy for me to do what's best for me, but I want to do, out of the love of Jesus, I want to do what's best for thee. And when we live a love like this, Jesus says, people will take notice. This love is so radical, it is so revolutionary that people will know who you really are. They will recognize you. He says there in verse 35, by this, everyone will know who you are. You're my disciples. That's how radical and and amazing this love is. People will know you're different. People will know you're a follower of Jesus. This type of love really produces two things. If we really can do our best in living out this kind of love, we will see these two things happen more and more and more. Number one, will bring unbelievers to Jesus. When people see you and I living out a love that's different from the way other people live, something's different about you. What's, what's the deal? What is it? Can you explain to me? Can you share that with me? Like, what? Why do you still love people? Why are you so nice even when they're rude to you? Because the way you love people stands out far and above compared to other people. This kind of love has the power to bring unbelievers to Jesus because it shows them this thing is real. Jesus is real. And then number two, uh, this love will keep believers strong and united in the world. If you and I really live this out, guys, if we, by the grace of God, do the best that we can to live out this Jesus kind of love, we'll keep believers strong and, and be united in this world. We're called to love one another. And as we do that, we strengthen each other. We encourage each other. It unites the body. It strengthens the body. And that's what Jesus is wanting us to do, to love one another so his church, so his people, so his body is strengthened, encouraged, and united. That's how powerful this kind of love is. And I pray that you and I would live this out to the best of our ability. It's not easy, but it's what we're called to do. Christ's selfless love for me leads me to do what's best for thee. And so I pray that we would live this way. So I want to end by going to what is called the love chapter in the Bible. The love chapter. If you're familiar with the Bible and been around church for a while, you might know the love chapter is 1 Corinthians 13, right? And even if you're new to church and, 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 and Jesus, you probably have seen it in a wedding before. People love to put these verses, some of these verses in their wedding programs because this is the love chapter. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And let's look at this. I've had several requests to sing more love songs today. And I apologize. I don't think I have any that come to mind. 1 Corinthians 13. I want us to actually jump back half of a verse into chapter 12 because this whole section starts with 
the last half of that last verse in chapter 12. Also, it has a cool Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure reference too. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Every time I read that, I think of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which by the way, I guess there's a sequel coming out now or so, soon or something like that. I don't know. I just love that. The most excellent way. Here we go. Verse one, chapter 13. 1 Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But whether our prophecies, they will cease. Whether our tongues, they will be stilled. Whether there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, but, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Why would Paul say the greatest of those three things is love. I think it's easy for us to understand faith, hope, and love are very important. Very important things in life. We need to make sure our faith is in the right place. We want to put our faith in Jesus, in who he is, and all of his promises like we sang about and prayed about earlier. I put my faith in Jesus and his promises for my life. Truth is, everyone has a faith in something. Even those who would say, I'm an atheist, they are putting their faith in something. You could technically say it's a faith in nothing, but they have a faith in something. We all have a faith in something. It's important we put our faith in Jesus. Big deal, right? It's that faith in Jesus and who he is that gains us eternal life and that relationship with God. It's important to have a hope in life, right? We love hope. Hope fulfilled feels really good. I think we can have fun celebrating with Joel and Candace, who got engaged this weekend. And I didn't ask if I could do this. I'm so sorry, but I just, it just came into my, my, my mind. And I just, you guys are awesome. You got engaged. And so you think about that, you know, as you're growing up, you have this hope, you know, and it's like, I can't wait. I'm going to meet the right person. And you wonder, how, how am I going to know? And all that kind of stuff. And that hope fulfilled feels good, doesn't it? Like, okay, and so we just celebrate with you guys in that today. Congratulations, you guys. That's super cool. So when hope is realized, it feels great. People need hope. We forever need hope. And then love. Paul calls love the greatest. Why does he call love the greatest? I think because love is the one thing that will last forever. When we step into eternity, the object of our faith and hope will be realized. We no longer need faith and hope in eternity, but we will still experience love, true love forever for the rest of all eternity. Love is the greatest. 
And so you and I can experience that love, the greatest of all things, from love himself, the author of life, the author of love, right now, the same love that we're going to experience for all of eternity. And it's the greatest because you and I are called to do that above all else. To love in this way that Paul has talked about love in this chapter. I think you could just divide this chapter into two sections. The first three verses are what it means to be successful as a Christian. This is the successful Christian life. And he talks about, you know, speaking in tongues. You can speak in tongues. That's great. But if you don't do it in love, you're missing the point. So it's good to function in your spiritual gifts. We believe in the spiritual gifts. We believe in speaking in tongues. I believe everybody should pray and ask to receive that gift. Paul even says, especially ask for the gift of prophecy. Those are all really good. But if we function in our gifts and do those things, but we have not love, we are doing it in vain. We're going through the motions. Paul says, you're just making noise. You're a clanging cymbal. Just clang, 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 clang. People, they're not going to receive it if it's not done in love. It's not going to make a difference in people's lives spiritually if it's not done in love. So it's all about love. And so this has really given us a definition. What does it mean to be successful? Successful in the Christian life means everything I do, I do it out of a love for God and a love for other people. It's because it has love. That's success. The rest of the chapter, you could say, is all about spiritual maturity. Is he describing how, what love is and how to live this out? If you and I are going to live that kind of love, we're going to keep growing. It requires spiritual maturity. He even talks about putting childish ways behind. I become a man. I think like a man. I think you know, more mature now is what he's saying. Not like a child when I was younger. And so this whole thing is about spiritual maturity and the importance of you and I growing in maturity. So what is maturity? What does it mean to be spiritually mature? That's really actually hard to quantify. It's hard to define, but I love to try. And I want to give you what I think are the most important characteristics of what it means to walk in uh, spiritual maturity. The first one would be this. Characteristics of, of spiritual maturity are, number one, I'm moving beyond the basics toward a full devotion to Christ. These I'm pulling out of scripture, out of 1 Corinthians 13, out of Hebrews 4, out of Galatians 5, all this. You see, characteristics of spiritual maturity. So I'm moving beyond the basics, uh, foundational stuff in my Christianity, my walk with Jesus, and moving towards full devotion to Christ. So I'm going all in on this, and I'm giving Jesus everything, and, and uh, no turning back. My whole life belongs to him. Body, soul, spirit, it's all his. Number two, an evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. That's another characteristic of of spiritual maturity. The more the fruit of the Spirit's coming out of our life, the more it shows us, it's an indicator that I'm growing in spiritual maturity. Excuse me, does does patience naturally come out of your life when in the past it didn't? (laughs) That's a sign like, hey, you know what? I used to get really upset when that happened. Now I don't. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I'm growing. Okay, that's a sign of spiritual maturity. It's amazing how stupid little things can upset us, right? It's amazing how, like, even driving down the road, I get, people get mad at me for the craziest of things. And you see a lack of patience on the road a lot. Oh, man. Just a little while ago, Amy and I pulled into a parking lot. Remember this? We pulled into this parking lot. And apparently I was going the wrong way in this parking lot. I didn't know. But 
as I pulled in this parking lot, this big truck was coming at me and he knew what the right way was. And he knew I was going the wrong way. You know what he did? There's plenty of space in this huge parking lot. You know what he did? He veered over and pulled right in front of me and stopped in front of me. He's like. And so I rolled out my window and he's like, going the wrong way. Oh, sorry, I didn't know. Good to see you too, sir. He's like, didn't you see the sign? No, I didn't actually. I missed the sign. It was kind of somewhat hidden by some trees. I just, I missed the sign. He's like, you gotta read the signs. You're going the wrong. I mean, he was he was ticked. He was so upset. I'm like, oh Lord. Like, why do people get so mad? I this does, should not affect your day. I made a mistake and now all of a sudden your day is messed up. Like the, I don't even get it. You are so upset. Uh, should I end the story how I ended it? I don't know if I should or not. <laughs> Okay, so sometimes in love, we get a little snarky. I wasn't mad. I promise I was. The only reason I hesitate is because the statement that I made, uh, please know I'm, uh, I'm, just ha- I'm just having fun with this moment, okay? This guy was so upset. I just finally, I want to say something just somewhat nice that would say, you're kind of being a jerk. Like, you don't need to be this mad. Like, you could just drive right around me and have a nice day. I could do the same. I looked at his hat and I read his hat back to him. <laughs> and I said, make America great again. And I rolled up my window. <laughs> and as I rolled my windows going up, I could see my, <laughs> I'm just like, oh. I don't know why I said that, but I just wanted to be like, dude, you're being a jerk. You don't need to be that upset. Like, okay, it's funny how, People get upset over silly things, and the truth is we can do the same thing to those closest to us even. The sign of spiritual maturity, I talked way too long on this one, is evidence the fruit of the Spirit is coming out. Did you enjoy that story? Um, Wow. Number three, it's a process of continued growth. By God's grace, we continue to grow in this. It's a continual thing. We never arrive in spiritual maturity, by the way. We just continue to grow the best that we can. And I recognize that other people are still in process as well. Number four, an increasing love for God and other people. Is that growing? That's really what we're talking about, all of this message right now. Is my love for God and other people, is it growing? If I'm losing that, that's an indicator. Okay, I'm struggling. I need to get back on track. Number five, a decreasing selfishness. So remember, this is what we're talking about today. The selfless love of Jesus leads me to do what's best for thee. Number six, I'm functioning in my spiritual gifts. It's very important. We want to function in those. God has given you gifts. I pray that you use those in love. But that's a part of, so it's not, it's more than just growing in, in knowledge and intellect and studying the Bible and believing in Jesus. No, it's now I recognize that he's given me gifts and I need to use those to help other people, to serve other people and to further the kingdom of God. That is spiritual maturity. We don't want to get caught up and just sitting back on just kind of just the bless me club. And I just want to receive, receive, receive. No, God has called you and I to give as well by using our gifts. And then lastly, number seven, teaching others to obey what Jesus has taught me. You and I are called to, to do that. That's part of spiritual maturity. I'm helping other people grow. I'm showing them the way, how to follow Jesus. That true spiritual maturity is really doing that and helping other people. It's not just I'm growing, I'm helping other people to grow as well. So right now today, it's August, no it's not, it's October. 
<laughs> it's October. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Third? Fourth? Third? Fourth. Fourth. I know. And today, you on October 4th, you are a year older than you were a year ago. But are you more mature? That's the question. I love what Pastor Amy said. You said this years ago. And I quote her. She says, all of us will grow older, but not all of us will grow up. And the goal is that we don't just get older, but we grow up. We grow in spiritual maturity. I want to have fun and just hit the pause button on this message here for a moment. We're going to do a little I think it's gonna be fascinating for you and very helpful and beneficial for you. If you have your Bible, grab your Bible. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. We're gonna take a few moments and we're gonna look through four verses here, verses four, five, six, and seven. And we'll put it on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. Maybe you can use your phone if you wanna use your phone. And uh, when you go home, grab your paper Bible if you don't have it with you and do this exercise. This is really good, but for now, let's all at least mentally do this. But if you want, physically, you can write this out, what I'm gonna tell you. In those four verses, in 1 Corinthians 13, wherever you find the word love and the word it, replace it with your name. And now reread it through with your name in place of the words love and it. Go ahead and do that just for a moment. sobering and beneficial exercise for us to do because this shows us the goal of how we're called to live I want to live out love in such a radical way that I could put my name in place of the word love or the word it then I could say these things now again none of us will ever be perfect at this but hopefully we grow we grow we're doing better at showing this kind of love, the kind of love that Jesus has called us to, to give. This is how we're called to live. And it's important for you and I to understand this, this really important truth. Paul is intentionally putting these words right smack dab in the middle of this letter, chapter 13. This isn't Paul thinking, oh, you know what? I just was pondering love the other day and I thought I'd just throw words, a few words in here about love. This isn't Paul waxing poetic about love. This isn't an ode to love. Sometimes we fall into the trap thinking that. Oh, this is the love chapter, chapter 13. Paul is putting this right in a very specific place. 
in the middle of the spiritual gifts section, which is chapter 12 and 14. Now, by the way, 1 Corinthians is all about these issues in the church that Paul is dealing with. He's like, this is going on, this is going on. There's division, there's sexual immorality that's running rampant. They're jealous of one another. There's all these issues that Paul is confronting. And then he goes into chapter 12. Spiritual gifts are so important. We all have different gifts as a part of the body. Another, but make sure you don't abuse the gifts because that's what was happening. They were abusing the spiritual gifts. And they were, it was just out of control. It was crazy. And basically people were making the spiritual gifts all about themselves. And so Paul was saying here as he's going into the spiritual gifts, teaching and dissertation, he's saying, hey, let me show you what's the most important thing. Because the most important thing isn't that you speak in tongues and you give a word and you prophesy. The most important thing is love. So Paul's saying, this. He's saying spiritual gifts, very important. Do them in order. Make sure that they point people to God. It's not about you, but here's what's more important. Love. He's elevating love over what you and I, even if it's good things that you do, Paul is so intentional. This chapter is probably the most important chapter in all of 1 Corinthians because Paul is saying there's all these issues, all these things going on. Here's what I want to point you to, love. And here's what love looks like. Jesus has described this love for us. He's told stories about this love. Paul, again, is going into depth into how to live out this kind of love. It's a radical love. It's a difficult love to live out, but it's the love you and I are called to live out to everybody, no exceptions. And I pray that we can do that. You know, on a Sunday here, we do a lot of good things as a church. As you walked in, you know, you, there were people that greeted you, hopefully. You were greeted, you were, uh, you know, welcomed. You got kids programming going on right now, a couple places. We got a Spanish church going on. We have music and worship, people having conversations, connecting with one another. We are, got sound and video equipment stuff going on right now. We've got message and preaching, and it's good to do all those things, but if we don't do them in love, we're just doing them in routine, and, and it's really just a religious thing we're doing. We want to make sure that everything we do is done in love. We could actually even talk all about Jesus and teach good doctrine about who he is. He's the son of man, fulfill all these prophecies. And he died and rose again. And he proved that he was God and the Messiah and explained salvation and this gift that he has for us. Could all be about Jesus and be true and right and correct. But if it doesn't have love, we're missing the point. It's gotta be done in love, by love, for love, through love. That is how important this is. And it's so important, guys, that you and I get this right to the best of our ability. That I understand that Christ's selfless love for me leads me to do what's best for thee. If you're new here this morning, I hope that you have felt and sensed the love of God through all of these things that we've done, because that is the goal. And that's the goal for all of us. I pray that when people have an encounter with you, they have an encounter with love that you love in such a radical way like Jesus is describing and telling us to, that people sense and see and feel something different from you. You know that people won't necessarily remember what you said, but they will remember how you made them feel. And I pray that when they come across you, they have an encounter with love, whether it's in the grocery store, at your home, uh, at church, at the workplace, that they encounter love by how you love and by how you live. That's my prayer for you. 
So Lord, help us to live this out the best we can. We want people to recognize us as Jesus followers by how we love. Amen. And I uh, got a really cool email this week from our friend Jim Rowan. Many of you know Jim Rowan. And he sent this email in light of the topic of love. And I wanted to read it to you. Before I read it, I'll just say this last week, him and his wife celebrated 71 years of marriage. That's amazing, isn't it? There they are right there. 71 years of marriage. That's amazing. And they, I think they were watching first service, but Jim and Joyce, we love you guys and we're just celebrating with you. And so he emailed me in light of, hey, we're talking about love. And I just was reflecting on this. Joyce was in the hospital this last week because of her health. I think even on their anniversary, if I'm correct, they were in the hospital, but they got home that day. And then Jim sent this email. He says, I was thinking about your sermon topic for this week, love. And he says, with Joyce and I having our 71st anniversary last Thursday and only being home from the hospital for a few hours, it gave me time to sit and reflect on the word love as it pertains to our marriage. With every couple's approach to togetherness being driven by their collective views as to what love is, I would not ever be able to clarify for them what it took for Joyce and I to reach this milestone in worldly interpretation. In God's world of love, it is very simple. We were both praying as individuals. They just had this relationship with God. They were praying and believing, that's what he's saying. We were both praying as individuals for God to lead us to his chosen mate for us. We were being active in our belief in prayer, so we both knew what it was when we were placed face to face for the first time. He says, I would not pretend to say that I was already in love with Joyce, but I was in love with the unknown person God had for me. But in all honesty, it was not difficult to make the transition from my head view of a mate to my heart's knowledge that that absolutely gorgeous petite lady in front of me was going to be my blessing. Both of us then and now believe that anything God gives us is not to be destroyed by us because of our earthly view or interpretations of what we were expecting. A gift from God is guaranteed to be successful. And Joyce and I are proud to be 71 years proof of that. He says, try it, you will like it. <laughs> and I love reading those words as words of encouragement about love, and especially in the marriage context. I love to celebrate 71 years of marriage. That is amazing and profound. But there's a bigger reason I wanted to mention this and end with this today. You may never be married for 71 years. Some of you maybe never ever get married. Maybe you never get married again. And that's okay. Because the goal is this, that to your last day, to your last breath, to your dying day, that you would live a life that loves God and loves other people. You see in this marriage of Jim and Joyce, what an amazing and beautiful picture of unconditional love, working through unmet expectations, still loving, trusting God. 71 years, they still are loving one another. That, my friends, is awesome. But you know what's even more cool? They love other people very well. And if you know them, you know you felt loved by them. That, my friends, is success. All that matters is that at the end of our days that you and I are loving God and loving other people. If you do that to the best of your ability, 
everything you do will be successful in God's eyes. Friends, that's what really matters. It's good sometimes to step back and get perspective in life. It's not if I achieve this or I do this or I have this, I do this. No, no, it's all this. Everything that I do, I'm gonna use the gifts God has given me. I'm gonna do my best, but most important, I'm gonna love God. I'm just gonna love other people to the extreme. And because of his love for me, it leads me to do what's best for thee. That's the goal. That's the hope. That's the perspective I pray we all have for the rest of our lives. So that leads us to to an important question. How do we do this? Because living this kind of love is not easy. It actually doesn't come natural to us. That's why we need to, I want to end the same way I ended last week. We need his help. We need to receive God's love if we're going to give it because I can't give what I don't have. I can't give what I don't have. And so again, today and every day, I got to receive his love, be filled with his love so that I can give it. I can live out this calling that Jesus has on my life. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to pray that way. We're going to pray in that direction. God, would you fill us right now? That you would experience his presence and his love right now. We want him to fill us again right now so that we can have something to give. I don't want to give people me. I want to give them God. My love is, has, has limits. His love is limitless. My patience tends to have limits. You've never been there. But through his spirit working in me, the patience that I can have is limitless. And I pray that that's how we would live. We need his presence. We need his spirit to empower us to live this out. Would you just look to him right now? Let's just go to God in prayer. Lord, right now we come to you recognizing, God, that we need you. We need your love to fill us, to empower us, to live out this kind of love that would compel us, that would lead us to do what's best for other people, to love them, to serve them, to meet them right where they're at. Lord, I pray by your spirit you would do this through us. So first, we receive it, Lord, your love in us. Come on, just right now, just begin to to ask him to fill you with his love, his presence. We just want God to fill us, fill this place right now. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never asked for him to forgive you of your sins and repented of those and received his grace and forgiveness. Would you do that right now? Ask him for his forgiveness. Commit to following him and experience right now, maybe for the first time, the love that he has for you. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what your past is. God loves you and he wants to forgive you when you ask. And then you can begin to receive his love begin to be filled with his love. Come on, right now, we're just, we're just getting a little bit desperate of saying, God, I want more of your love, more of your presence in my life. God, I need you. I want to live out this radical kind of love where I think of other people. I'm serving other people. Lord, I want to love people no matter what. Lord, would you fill me with that love first? God, I need you. I need your love and your presence in my life. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. again for listening to this message of Bell Road Church. We hope you enjoyed it and that God spoke to you through it. Be sure to connect with us online via Twitter, Facebook, and at bellroadchurch.com.